What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today I have Bria Miller. Bria, welcome. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so what do you do? Um, yeah, I, um, so my actual full-time job um, is working at a place called the Kyber Center for the Arts. Um, it's actually located in the NASCAD building uh, downtown, but isn't NASCAD affiliated. We're like an artist-run center that does um, anti-oppressive focused um, like arts events and workshops and basically just programming in general, um, whether it's like grassroots or with established artists or just community groups. Um, so yeah, I work there. And then um, for the past while, I was working with Elizabeth Fry Society as well as a facilitator, um, but recently have stopped um, to stay at the Kyber. And then I work also as like a contacted artist in a bunch of ways. Um, yeah, like learning animation. I do graphic facilitation, which is like drawing what's happening at an event, um, like live on a really big piece of paper or another kind of medium. Um, yeah, I do poetry, like spoken word, um, all kinds of things really. Painting, <laughs> illustrations for books. Um, that's what I've been doing a lot of, like a lot of digital art, especially as since uh, about April. Um, yeah, I kind of like to try and do whatever and learn new skills always, especially if it's with other people. Yeah. So I guess it's like, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like these, yeah, I guess like doing a little bit of everything comes from being a self-taught artist. And so I only started like doing and selling my art like more seriously about I want to say like four to five years ago uh, when I was working at Alter Ego's Cafe on Goddagen Street um, and because I was doing a lot of gig work where um, I would be called to kind of do random jobs a lot of the time when I left that barista job um, for stability and finances I just kind of like dabbled in so many things like film and yeah all kinds of stuff so then that just kind of like expanded my skill set pretty naturally. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's kind of where I came across you actually during that time period. Yeah. And you were even doing music too, right? Yeah, true. I uh, played in a band called Rabies. I play bass and do backup vocals, um, but we haven't played together for a while yet. And now I DJ as well too. So right. Doing all this stuff. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, how are you coping through all of this, like, pandemic, through the revolution that's happening? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I feel like most of my focus, like, a lot of my focus has been really taking time and, like, resting, um, but also still getting the shit done, you know? Like, still kind of being, like, slow and steady about how I'm moving forward on projects. Um, also, like, taking my time. Um, has been so important and has also meant that the quality of my work is improving a lot, which 
I, like it's really cool to be able to notice how much I'm leveling up um, in terms of like digital art or even just like organizing online events because I've done it a few times, like things like that. Right. But yeah, also just like quality time with um, friends and loved ones when it's been possible and safe. Um, that's been really keeping me together. But overall, I would say also just like creativity in general and like connecting with other artists because um, yeah, I'm like, I feel like I'm hearing everywhere that like, and have been for a while, especially in terms of like upheaval and um, like cases of injustice where people are talking about um, like how artists actually are the people who like uphold and tell history actually, like that we learn about history through photos and imagery and um, like media. And Absolutely. so just kind of trying to take that really seriously, but also not put too much pressure on myself. Um, yeah, I guess it's been really important and connecting to other people about that too, like what they want to make um, and finding ways to support that has been so good. Um, also has been like just really inspirational for me to make stuff because I've been uh, taking such a backseat and more of an organizer the past few years because of Kyber. Um, yeah, have been like supporting other people to do workshops. Whereas before when I was working for myself, I was, um, yeah, on the front lines a lot more. Um, so actually having space to make again for the first time. Um in like a long time feels also just like so good and nourishing and also again lucky like I'm really grateful that I have a creative outlet because I feel like if I did not I would be I don't think I would be as well um, I don't think I would be as okay as I am yeah um, yeah yeah that's that's true um I get like I can see that with a lot of people who just are bored at the fact that they couldn't leave home for that long of a period of time whereas some yeah. of us like we're excited to have things to do at home exactly it's like I can pick up all the projects that I like kind of started but didn't actually get moving yeah I've done that so much yeah different like shrinky dink things I was making I've been making all kinds of charms all kinds of stuff that I've been picking up that I forgot about mm-hmm. like one thing you mentioned too that I I find interesting is that artists do document history. So like I took art history courses and I remember thinking that like, wow, these are actually just like straight up history classes because they're really talking about what was going on in the culture at that time. Now mm -hmm. that said, <laughs> the vast majority of the history I learned was very Eurocentric. So it took a very specific stance. Um, so I think what we're seeing today is going to be fascinating for people going forward, because you're going to have way more diverse perspectives and not just one uh, monoculture deciding yeah. who, you know, what voices were important at a certain time and stuff like that. So Exactly. Or even like what the reality is for the time, right? Because it's like when we, even in like taking an art history class, I haven't ever taken an art history class. I've done, again, self-taught, so I've done it through my own research. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, and thinking about like how white voices are always focused on, it's like that is only one 
like only a fraction of the reality that existed actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's so, it's so, so, so important to hear like all of those juicy voices, youth, like anybody who's actually really like transparently speaking about like what they're feeling, how they're processing, like what can be done to help things that are happening right now too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like solutions to so many issues are actually in people and in, in like the art that people are making. Yeah. So I hope to take that more seriously too. Yeah, so I noticed like in a lot of your work, it often speaks about gender and race and women's like, uh, like general, like women being like being assaulted or being needing to be protected in some kind of way. Um, do you feel like your art is sort of intentionally making those statements or is it sort of just something that naturally comes out of you? I feel like it naturally comes out of me. Um, But now, as I've had more experience in talking about my, like for a long time, because you're just kind of making with your head down, you know, I wasn't really thinking about like the themes that exist in my art, for example. But now that I've been talking about it for a few years, I'm kind of starting to realize. Um, Yeah, I definitely have a lot of like I always like to say, there's always like a sprinkle of Black girl magic or like women's empowerment in my pieces. Um, I think that comes from my own experiences of like feeling silenced or erased or um, also just bad personal experiences I've had. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, yeah, I guess when I create, there's like this motto that I've had since I've begun which is to like encourage honesty. And so because those things feel very real for me, I know that they also are very real for other people. And so, um, yeah, just like knowing that there, like there's a lot more movement to support like survivors of sexual assault or racism or all of these things now. Um, But yeah, as a youth and stuff, I didn't really see those things very much. And so I would create um, I still do like create a lot of things that I would like to see or that I I feel like I know were needed like I maybe would have needed as a young person or when going through something specific um, yeah so I always like to kind of plug in little affirmations or reminders of like strength resilience all of those things and whatever I make um, yeah definitely usually pretty blackity black in anything I make so yeah and I see there's another topic related to that that's I think gets pushed under the rug a lot but I I see we're gonna have to really confront it coming Mm -hmm. up and it's how black women are treated by black men Mm -hmm. and we have to be uh (laughs) holding ourselves more accountable so I was just seeing I was looking at the the murder of Oluwatoyin Salau. And uh, it's like, you know, often like women like yourself, I often see at the forefront of making these kind of statements and yet getting left behind um, when it comes to additional supports from everyone else. So uh, I just want to say I applaud you for for continuing to share your voice and and uh, doing that. Um, Thank you. 
Um, yeah, it feels so important. I want to say like my, um, like the urgency for me to like be uplifting women's voices is definitely amplified by working at the Elizabeth Fry Society. Um, I worked there from um, 2018 until in November of 2018. I actually started that job when I started at Kyber. Um, I was working as a caseworker first and then um, with all women who were coming from prison and being reintegrated into uh, the community. And so I was helping them while they were living in a safe house, like it connected to resources and things. And that just like, like I already knew how, like how lacking the supports are um, for women who are abused or facing any kinds of violence, whether it's from police or somebody they're in a relationship with or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but working there actually just like illuminated it even more drastically. Um, which then led to there being a program created through Status of Women Canada. Um, it's called um, Creating Communities of Care, and it's actually still running. Um, my coworker, or like past coworker Sarah Tremblay, runs it now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, essentially that program has been created to better support Black and like African Nova Scotian and Black uh, women who live in Nova Scotia, and also Mi'kmaq and Indigenous women who live here. Mm -hmm. um, just knowing also that they're so disproportionately um, affected and punished by the system, um, especially often in cases of like asking for help. Um, so yeah, working there like has definitely like lit a fire ass, like made me learn so much so fast. Um, and I'm so grateful to that organization because um, yeah, it's definitely influenced my art. And yeah, I just wanted to share that because. Ooh. And also it's like an amazing organization to support right now as well, because I know that their funding has been cut. Um, yeah. But they, most of their clientele is Black and Indigenous women as well. Okay. Um, yeah, because of the way that the system is set up, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So is that because like, say, even when they do come forward, they're just not being like, you come forward because something happened. And you're just mm -hmm. not getting that support that you would think you're supposed to get. Yeah. Um, often in the cases, from my experience, um, it's like when Black women are often calling for help, if it's like a domestic situation, often when the officers arrive, they are arriving in a situation, like in a in an attitude of es like escalation, like they're just ready to escalate the situation and not actually um, support a lot of the time. Okay. Um, sometimes also they add insult to injury. Um, like I know too many cases of like women asking for help and then them facing further violence by the police. And then somehow they're the ones charged by the police when actually they were just like upset because they just dealt with some serious shit or like something with their, like they're emotional for a very valid reason, you know? Yeah. And then taken out of context and then they're yeah, punished by the system for that it's like so many stories of that um yeah in my experience the police are not a sort of like a, a safety they're very much a last resort um but then even in those last resort situations it can be really dangerous um, for indigenous women as well um, i just know 
the experience of yeah being black and calling the cops for like mental health or any of those kind of crisis situations as being actually usually more dangerous than not sadly um, but it's like the only option we have sometimes um, yeah it's really hard right and as we see with uh, Chantal in New Brunswick and Regis mm -hmm. in Toronto uh, yeah yeah uh, so you're based in Halifax now mm -hmm. and are you where'd you grow up um, I was born, actually, I was born and I grew up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. I like to call it the tip of the province or the tip of the world, <laughs> like about three and a half hours from Halifax. Um, I lived there until I was in grade 12, and then um, I moved basically as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah, the safety of coming out, but also, yeah, there's just not many job prospects there at all. Right. You strike me as someone who is pretty reserved and soft-spoken. Were you like a shy, precocious child? Um, actually, funny thing is, as a kid, I was not. I, was very, <laughs> like, I guess I would be in the in certain contexts, like if I didn't really know somebody. But I was actually like very loud. Um, yeah, yeah, very loud. Pretty like obnoxious is the word I would use. Pretty <laughs> extra. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm an Aries. So people don't usually read that from me, but uh, when I was a kid, I was a lot louder. Kind of mean also, oh. I think kind of what made me start to be quiet because I was like, oh shit, you need to stop talking and actually just listen to what's going on around you. And wow. Not... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Um, I I'm glad you said that because to know you today, I would never think of you as a mean girl in any capacity um. yeah I, I done a lot actually it's like it's kind of like because I was totally the kid that was like friends with kids who were considered outcasts like I was kind of friends with everybody mm. but then at the same time would have my mean spells where something shitty was happening in my life so I was mean to people around me you know mm -hmm. and yeah as my grandmother says hurt people hurt people and I started to realize that and I was like oh this does not feel good <laughs> And learned a lot from that, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good because some, you know, people need room to grow. And sometimes it's like the people, I guess, who um, experience things or dished out things even um, yeah. are the ones who come around and know, like, from experience what it's like on the other side so that they can grow and, and um, evolve into different people. Yeah, um, so true. And like that learning is like in your body. So you carry it with you. You can't forget it. That's yeah. the most part. Yeah. So do you ever see yourself like zeroing in on one particular specialty? Or is that just impossible for your brain to fathom? <laughs> uh, every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, I think I really want to do this one thing. But actually because I'm so interested in, like, I love gaining new skills. So realistically, I don't think that would actually be the case. Um, I, I am really loving, though, like, making digital art. Um, and I really, like, I love illustration and book illustration so much. Um, I love how that process is. And I love, like, being home and really getting to, like, bring a story to life and just, like, chill and sit with it for, like, days on end. Um, 
yeah, so that kind of work is really awesome. But then I also really love like physical stuff that requires more like body movement. Um, yeah, I feel like also all the different art mediums give me a different, um, it's just, a, yeah, I feel like they're all just different kind of, they're just different kinds of outlets really. So they give a different kind of soothing. Mm. Uh, so it just all depends really. I kind of just try to go with the flow and listen to the body and what it needs, you know? Right. Yeah. Have you found that uh, since Black Lives Matter um, all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> uh, have you found uh, like a, a new influx of people interested in you? Oh, hell yeah. It is. Um, it's actually kind of jarring. Because um, I've been selling Black Lives Matter art since I started. Yeah, about four years ago. Um, I would sell it like at markets um, on the street on Gym, like during the North by Night market and stuff. I would actively watch white families like pull their kids away from my table if they read that, mm-hmm. um, like scoff at me actively, mm-hmm. like, ah, and then walk away yep. um, or just be like looking through everything and then see that look up at me and then awkwardly like kind of slink away, like so much of that. Um but then also a weird thing is that I made a Black Lives Matter, like a new piece. I had just opened up an online store on June 1st, mm-hmm. um, which is very new for me, but really exciting. I have a lot of stuff to sell from over the years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I made a new print um, and have had the most sales that I've ever had, like the most interest I've ever had um, in a piece ever, actually. Um, and it's wild because it's mostly white people buying it, a lot of white businesses, and it is not a poster that just says Black Lives Matter. It also says, like, defund police, protect, support, uplift Black folks, so it's, like, not just a bunch of white people buying this poster that says Black Lives Matter, but it's also people that are very openly down for, like, declaring to defund the police, which is actually really dope, but kind overwhelming at the same time um yeah like the outpouring of support can be really good but then every once in a while can definitely be weird like I've had a few messages from like white strangers not a few actually like many from white strangers like demanding emotional labor of me or like asking how they can make their businesses anti-racist like without even a hello like Mm -hmm. um yeah just like very weird entitled um, entitled expressions of like them feeling entitled to my emotions mm-hmm. um, or like what I think without even knowing me. Um, right. So that's kind of like the double-edged sword. Um, but also then like the performative part of it all is like, it's hard to know if the people buying these posters and saying Black Lives Matter, like if they actually are down to like live into what that means actually. Um, so I'm really curious about that. Um, but it's definitely exciting to see people I haven't really seen um, having conversations about race like that. It's the first time that I've seen like some of my family members that are white talk about it um, or even just like not when a Black Lives Matter, but to actually be posting it is like and like a few years ago, they were like mad at me about just having a post that said it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> It's a weird time to be. To yeah. 
uh, an observer, I'll say. <laughs> it, it, it definitely is. It uh, It's emotionally taxing in a way because yeah. like you're feeling grateful in one sense, like, wow, does this mean like real change is actually happening? But if you've been doing this for a few years, then you kind of remember the times when people were mad at you for posting pro-black stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is this authentic or is this like a clout chase? Exactly. Uh, or like a knee-jerk reaction out of guilt. Like what is, yeah. where is it from is what I just keep wondering. But I'm trying to give some space and be patient from afar <laughs> to let yeah. people figure out where they're at and like learn what they need to learn, you know, cause we all got to have a moment. <laughs> Same here. And that's where I'm at too. It's like, like you said, with, well, earlier with that growth moment, it's for some people, it, the growth comes at different points. So I'm really trying to be gracious with folks and be like, okay, maybe they just had a moment that they, that light switch went off and now they're ready to go forward and I got to give them space to let them do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like knowing that it's not my responsibility to make sure that they like learn the things, but then also like just giving space and kind of trying to trust that people are going to do their best to learn the things and like be writing their counselors and do the things that they should be doing. Um, yeah, and like also still feeling that urgency at the same time, but yeah, again, like trying to keep it slow and steady because it's like an ongoing fight. It's not just right now. Um, yeah. yeah, seeing a lot of like organizations and white artists like reacting in ways that feel very temporary, and I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about longevity. Like this is a long ass, a long haul. Actually, it's not just this week. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you're self-taught, um, but obviously you've seen art at some of some kind before that led you to the path you're on. What What are some of your influences, or who are some of your influences? Oh, totally. I I was very lucky to in Yarmouth um, when I was in junior high. Um, our, our junior high was like really close to a high school, and so the art room was um, positioned right next to like a woodworking studio. And then the person who taught us art also taught like what was called tech ed. So it's like where you learn how to do woodworking stuff. But anyway, all that to say, like I had a really awesome teacher in junior high who got us really well acquainted with um, that art room, but also like all of the, like all the facilities that the high school students used. Um, and they were also support, like both so supportive of me um, and like just using that space whenever I needed, I could go there after school, whenever. Um, so then when I, that was in junior high, it was like introduced to me and I took art class. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how I spent time there. But then when I got to high school, um, I took art 10, or whatever, just standard art. Um, but then I I took it again. (laughs) I took it like every year actually, um, just to have access actually to that studio because it was the first place, um, that I was able to actually really play with a ton of mediums. Um, like I got to use concrete, for example, charcoal. Um, there was an IB art class. So like an advanced art class also in that room. 
So we had access to just so many different materials so that they could also get used to using them before they went to NASCAD and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, I just, the man was named Mr. Baldwin when I was in high school. He was my teacher and was so supportive, actually nudged me to do my first painting um, as a way to raise money for me to go to university because um, I wanted to be a teacher. And so I did this really, really big abstract painting. I actually have not been paid for it still. Oh, no. Supposed to pay me. <laughs> um, now that's on the record. But <laughs> um, yeah, I did a really big, like, abstract painting that I worked on all year. Um, and then that got me really into painting. But then after I left, um, I didn't really make any art at all, really, again, until I I would like doodle on napkins and stuff when I worked retail um, before working at Alter Egos. Um, so I was just kind of drawing and doodling on stuff. Um, yeah, it was mostly, and then I was working at Alter Egos um, <clears throat> a few years ago and I basically started hand drawing these little like stickers of different cartoon characters. I would like, take a lot of cartoon characters and basically just make them black. So like Powerpuff Girls with little Afro puffs or like Arnold from Hey Arnold or yeah, basically just any black character you could think of, but then also some of the white ones turned black. (laughs) Um, And I made, yeah, a bunch of stickers and little drawings and I was selling them at Alter Egos Cafe on Gottagen Street um, owned by Michelle Strum when I was working there, which is actually where I met you the first time. Yes. Um, and one day Michelle was like, I showed her like a drawing that I was working on that was larger, like just casually on my phone. And she was like, you should sell art on the walls here. Like very, very casual. <laughs> and I was just like, well, never even thought of that. Like, I, yeah, she's like, you should just have an art show. And then like a few weeks later, I was like, oh, she, like I, didn't have actually a body of work at that point. Um, But then that kind of lit a fire under my ass again to make some stuff to actually be able to put up on the walls. So I did that. Um, We had an art opening, which was really sweet. A bunch of beautiful friends and community members came. Um, I remember the Kyber, like Hannah, the director, um, still the director of the Kyber now was really supportive and was like, how can I support you? Um, even back then, which is really lovely to think about. Um, and yeah, basically, I think it was only maybe five or six months after that, I ended up leaving the cafe to do my art full time. Um, and that would have been when kind of what I was referencing earlier, like when I did a lot of different odd jobs because um, I straight up just like, I just quit and kind of threw myself into the fire and was like, I'm going to make this work. I don't mm. know how yet. This is terrifying, <laughs> but it's <laughs> worth it. Um, like it felt really right. Um, right. Yeah, just trying to trust my intuition. And yeah, that's kind of how this has all started. And um, over time, I've just kind of, yeah, I feel like when I started making art at Alter Egos, also Julia Hutt, Um, who is known now for her really beautiful drawings of like mothers and often she's a white woman but also draws like a lot of women of color um, and black women in particular and always did too from what I remember yeah exactly but like not in a performative way like yeah just legit 
like in relationship with these people and because they're like beautiful images actually. Yeah. Yeah, like we started actually making art around the same time. So we would encourage each other. Um, like I was with her when she made the first aquaculture stickers at Radstorm. Like wow. um, Radstorm has helped me so much. They helped me like make my uh, my first prints I ever made and my first stickers as well. I use the, pe- the people's photocopier is what it's called. Um, it's like a by donation photocopier that's at Radstorm. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, I feel like ever since I kind of got to alter egos, everything just kind of branched from there. Um, and I've also, because that place is such a hub for so many creative people, um, have met so many people too, who I've got to collaborate with, which has been so awesome. Like I got to interview Lance Sampson from Aquaculture the other week on Every Seeker's um, Instagram Live, for example. Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so many collaborations. That's actually true, too, because uh, I remember when I went there, I was like, it kind of was, it kind of lit a fire under me just hanging on there, too, because of, like, all the dope creatives that just kind of happened to hang out, just just happened to be there. With their laptops, doing their thing, drinking their coffee. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good energy to be around. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, random. So, like, um, what do you find is the biggest challenge in when you started saying, I'm going to pursue this creative life? What, what was the hardest part of it? Oh, wow. Uh, to be honest, I want to say the hardest part, the first answer that came to my mind was, like, navigating the whiteness in all of the art spaces that I had to use. Um, because like that meant like having like really intense anxiety before like entering a space that I had to go work in Um, like thinking about all the like micro or not aggressions um, that are in like interactions with like people who I'm asking uh, for support Um, yeah I feel like just kind of like not being able to escape whiteness but still knowing that I have to do the work anyway um I think for me has been the hardest thing um luckily because of all the collaborations and people I know I found a really good support network Mm -hmm. uh, especially of like black and BIPOC artists um like I know now that I have so many people I could call on if something messed up happened or um Mm -hmm. But especially when I was younger, um, I definitely took a few jobs that were like supposed to be social justice oriented, um, but actually felt like to me that they caused more harm than reducing it, you know, Mm. like kind of performative projects, you know, they're like well-intentioned, quote unquote, but um, aren't really thinking about actually the supports that they'll put in place to make somebody that doesn't look like them feel comforted or like supported to actually even act on what their ideas are Mm. Um, yeah I faced a lot of like like a lot of policing micromanaging um, but luckily I'm not experiencing that anymore (laughs) very happy to say at least like not as often Um, definitely not through Kyber luckily Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's changed my life honestly to like actually feel really supported and 
um, like I don't have to worry so much about like what my ideas are or if they're okay or like if they're I don't know academic enough or all that shit right like, yeah I'm not dumb like of course still we all battle with like some forms of um like imposter syndrome I think still in the work that we do I feel like a lot of black artists will do well especially again because of like how inescapable the like standards of like white art are but yeah, yeah I think I think we'll be okay so <laughs> as as we're there for each other yeah I I found two things in there interesting so um a would it be like imposter syndrome from being self-taught and a lot of in these white spaces a lot of them were not self-taught yeah sometimes that is the case okay um sometimes it's also just like my own personal shit you know like sometimes your mental health will just be kind of off and then like the subtle racism part just kind of amplifies the shitty feeling Mm. but yeah, it's like definitely sometimes because I don't even talk about my art, for example, in a really academic way, like I'm very matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely like sometimes doubt myself in the way that I explain things or. Um, yeah. Well, as someone who's taken a bunch of those classes, it doesn't matter. So fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always try to tell myself when I'm self-taught talks, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I've been told that so many times by people who have, like, graduated from NASCAD or, like, other really intense programs. They're just like, it's fine. You know things that you need to know. And you're, like, always learning. That's actually what matters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just said thank you for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then the other side of it is, I guess, the the Black side. So one thing I've experienced, which I doubt would happen now, <laughs> but I'm not that old. So, I mean, it should never have happened in my career, in the, in the span of my career anyway. But I've definitely had things where, if I used a person of color in a in an ad, I was told to make the person white instead because what? they're trying to appeal to a certain audience. Yep. Um, I mocked up a no, this is just a mock-up. This wasn't the real thing. I just mocked up a magazine cover for a client and used mm-hmm. my face. And they were like, Well, it's not a hip hop magazine. I'm like, what the fuck what? is that supposed to mean? Um, so like these these different things play out very uh, now the funny thing is though with the one who told me not to use a person of color I, all my communication with them was via email so yeah they exactly. had no idea because again they don't expect you think of a graphic designer you automatically the default is a white male mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> they didn't they they probably would have changed out their tone if they knew who was behind the computer um yeah. But like situations like that, I've reflected on now. And I'm like, I was so scared to push back. I was pissed, but I was scared to push back in those situations. And um, I like today, oh, sh- <laughs> listen. <laughs> <laughs> 
we got time. We have time to address the things. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, these kind of subtle things, like, um. The wild thing is, though, they think that they're being subtle. That is not subtle. This is not a hip hop cover. Are you serious? Oh yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that was very, that was very like straight up. And I really should have stung him for that one. And I'm, I, I'm, I regret that I didn't. You got receipts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I could see. So in in your art, are you ever like feeling like? people are uncomfortable because you feature so many like women of different skin tones in your work? Um, I feel like when I first started out, like especially doing different commissions for certain organizations, I definitely faced a little bit of that, but it was like super subtle. It was like most, like for some, for example, sometimes I would include like a crying person and then being comforted in a drawing of like, a group of people on purpose mm-hmm. um like I've had people like ask me to like change the expression or like lighten the skin tone at the, like when I first started mm-hmm. um or like and usually the way that they phrase it is to like because they don't want to appear as if they're forcing diversity is usually <laughs> the kind how they word it and I'm like huh interesting nice one <laughs> nice one yeah <laughs> um but I haven't actually encountered it in a while waiting for the next one it's bound to happen honestly um but yeah luckily haven't dealt with any of that shit in a while um hopefully won't yeah i i wonder also though i'm like yes i'm a black person but also because i'm light-skinned i wonder also if white people accept that representation more for me as well so also just want to mention that as well. Like I know that often my art would be seen as more palatable to white people, even though it has very intense messages in it. It's like, I know that that is also part of the truth. So also want to name that too. Um, yeah, I feel like I would be called out a lot less than um, like darker folks often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like targeted less for sure. Um, which is also why I just want to speak out so much because I, yeah, I hate that people have to be like, right, right, just making for drawing people as they look like <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> colorism is real, mm-hmm. uh, beyond just race, yeah, uh, man. So, what's uh What's a piece of advice you would give an artist like who's wants to pursue this lifestyle? The first quote that I think of is actually not my words, but it is a quote that I lean on a lot, which is from um, a black, uh, like a black queer writer. Uh, her name was Audre Lord, and the quote is, "Your silence will not protect you." Um, For me, like if I'm feeling that imposter syndrome, if I'm like feeling frozen or like my voice isn't, or like if I'm doubting that, um, that quote, also it's a whole text by the way, (laughs) so you can go read it later, little plug again. But um, yeah, your silence will not protect you. It's like a phrase that has stayed with me 
if I need to write, if I need to paint, if I need to like have a hard conversation. Um, really, yeah, I just like want to encourage people to like stay true to their values and their experiences to not like gaslight themselves because of how messed up the world is around us. Like to know that their experiences are valid and also that it's like so, 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 so valuable to, if you feel comfortable, share your gift that is like creation with the world actually. Cause like we were saying at the beginning of our conversation, um, like artists actually shape history. Like we get to decide actually which stories get told, um, like what histories get uplifted and remembered. Um, so like right, right now, like we can actually decide to start doing that work. Um, yeah, that's, I guess, I feel like I just wanna incite people to act with their art, especially if there are like reasons you can't show up to rallies or what have you. Yeah, there's so many different ways that you can support a lot of the like activism and really, really important um, land defending and like fighting against police brutality that's happening mm -hmm. um, just from like the comfort of your home um, or with like a paintbrush actually yeah I just want to encourage that nice you know what so this is just coincidence by the way but I, I'm looking at a, my old sketchbook from 2016 <laughs> and it has one of your stickers on it oh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, the quote on it is I am not too much of a person to hold my voice, my experience is entirely valid. So um, you've been thinking that for a while and you know what? That's one of the first stickers I ever made actually when I was working at Alter Egos and I've made it a, a few times more. <laughs> yeah, that's where <laughs> I got it from. I uh, actually <laughs> made of that quote yesterday too. So I'll be selling them soon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, but I funny that it came full circle sorry to cut you off <laughs> no go ahead here's the other thing is so I designed a shirt that has a similar quote mm -hmm. in 2018 or 17 and now I'm looking at it and I'm like shit that's where I got it from hey <laughs> <laughs> now where's my money no my bad <laughs> I'm just happy that the message is, is like carrying on, honestly. That is like what makes me so happy. Right, right. I'm going to like learn a little bit about like how me doing that through the cafe and stuff has impacted other artists and encouraged them to start their craft too. So like like that stories like this are have been coming to me recently. So it's actually really comforting to know that like conversations that I had like quite a while ago have actually like blossomed into something else. Um, yeah, I feel no kind of way about that except excited to be honest. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. so you know. Okay. <laughs> well, Bria, how can um, people find you online? Um, I feel like the, I don't really use my Facebook very often. I mostly just use it to keep in contact with my family. So I would say Instagram is probably the best way. Um, my Instagram tag is at encouraging honesty. Um, and I also have an online shop that I just started um, June 1st. It has like the Black Lives Matter prints that I referenced and a bunch of other stuff. Soon it will have jewelry too. Um, and you can find that at www.briamakesthings.com. Uh, 
www.bigcartel.com. Yeah, and that's those are my main contacts. All right, folks, you hear that? So I've been sending people your way because I don't plan to make anything like that anytime soon. So I was like, I know someone who's already doing it. Hit up for you. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I feel that with the Facebook. Um, people keep adding me on Facebook, but I don't really add strangers. Yeah. Like I, I just use it for mine family. Up. Yeah. So um, yeah, hit me up on Instagram. That's where I'm, that's where I'm at. Uh yeah, so Bria, thanks for doing art pays me. And I think people get something out of this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. It's good to connect with you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.